I'm Liv. And I'm AJ. And this is Arbitrary Views, a podcast where we make arbitrary reviews of movies. This week, we um, we watched Hidden Figures, which is a movie that maybe many of you have heard about. Hopefully, many of you have heard about. Um, it came out in 2016. Uh, it's sort of a drama, sort of historical, sort of uh, biographical. And you may know it by its stars, Octavia Spencer, Janelle Monae, Kevin Costner, and Taraji Henson, of course. Um, it was directed by Theodore Melfi. Um, it was an excellent movie, in my opinion, um, but we'll get to that later on in the episode. The IMDb description is, as the United States raced against Russia to put a man in space, NASA found untapped talent in a group of African-American female mathematicians that served as the brains behind one of the greatest operations in U.S. history. Based on the unbelievably true life stories of three of these women, known as, quote, human computers, end quote, we follow these women as they quickly rose the ranks of NASA, alongside many of history's greatest minds, specifically tasked with calculating the momentous launch, launch of astronaut John Glenn into orbit and guaranteeing his safe return. Dorothy Vaughn, Mary Jackson, and Catherine Goebbels Johnson crossed all gender, race, and professional lines while their brilliance and desire to dream big beyond anything ever accomplished before the human race firmly cemented them in U.S. history as true American heroes. This is our fourth and final week of evaluating movies based on the walls that we have uh, presented to us inside of the movie. We're going to also, as always, make a real overall assessment of the film at the end of this podcast. But for now, we are just talking about the set design, specifically the walls. All right, AJ, are you ready to talk about the walls in Hidden Figures? I am always ready to talk about all of the walls in all of the movies. <laughs> well, luckily, this is the last time we're discussing walls in movies. But, Excuse me. Um, Wow. Luckily. <laughs> I mean, it's been it's been a pretty fun criterion. It's definitely not something I certainly normally look for in movies. Oh, it was quite the ride. Yeah, I mean, we went from Doctor Strange, which had lots of walls as plot points, to... Pretty good movie. Um, what was the second movie we watched? We uh, looked at National Treasure. <laughs> oh, yes, National Which, spoiler Treasure. alert, was the weakest of the pack. <laughs> and... And then we had In Bruges, and now we have Hidden Figures. So you were saying a little bit earlier, uh, outside of the podcast plane, that... I probably shouldn't talk outside of the podcast plane. <laughs> that you uh, had some thoughts about In Bruges mm. after after we finished up with that. Yeah. I mean, while we were watching it, I was very much like, Ma, what, <laughs> what the fuck is this? But... Uh, I don't know. It's it was definitely like a dark comedy, and I did I do think I enjoyed it. But um, now we've come to a movie that I most certainly enjoyed, and a movie that was on my watch list. I have a actual list it's on my phone of movies that I've been wanting to see that I haven't quite gotten around to yet, and this one is one that has been on my watch list for a little while. Actually, not too long after I put it on there, got recommended to me by my mother. Hmm. She was like, "Hey, you need to, you need to watch this movie. You Smart said woman. you're you're into watching good movies <laughs> these days." <laughs> um, no, but uh, she did say this is you know you're you're trying to catch up on good movies. You're discerning. You know what you want. This is a pretty good one. Go ahead and give it a shot. So. I am finally getting to get the full uh, hidden figures experience. Maybe the full hidden experience, the full hidden figures experience plus, because now I'm also going to talk about the walls in it. I know, I know, very specifically. So, um, yeah, I, I just kind of the the base the the basis of this movie. It's it's set in Langley. Um, you know, in the 1960s, right when we were in the, the heat of the space race against Russia. Um, for those of you who don't know, which probably most of you don't, <laughs> I'm a little bit of a history nerd. 
And I especially find the Cold War and World War II era to be really, really interesting, especially in terms of the technological advances. So I certainly love this movie. Um, a lot of it is um, somewhat, I will give, somewhat factual in terms of its depiction of of, uh, of NASA in the 1960s. And I thought it was really cool to be able to see some really cool, badass women um, you know, paving the way for the rest of us women scientists and engineers um, many years later. Uh, so the, the movie opens with us inside a 1920s West Virginia school. Um, so, you know, it's it's uh, it's all shot in what's the um, the brown brown tone? A very sepia tone. Yeah, yeah. Very sepia. And uh, they're trying to lead you off with this recognizing that this little girl who's looking at this really cool stained glass is pointing out all the shapes and she's just really, really smart for her age. And um, so the movie starts you off um, in brown tones, you know, to try to show its age. And then we have the trope of the brown tones fading into the, the very the bright, vibrant. vibrant, heavily saturated outdoor landscape shortly thereafter. And we have a lovely quote from AJ during the movie where he said, I hope they wrote the right answer on the whiteboard when she's doing some algebra off on the board. I did say that. I said, I hope to God they wrote the correct answer on there because that would be a rough start. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought about pausing the movie and going back to check her math because it certainly at that point, it was certainly algebra that I think either AJ or I could have figured out. Um, but uh, alas, I was too many beers in to want to do math. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably the I think truth. if the choice is between math and a fine glass of Kirkland signature premium golden <laughs> margarita ready to drink. I'm so for all you ladder. listeners out there, I bought a, a thing of the the margarita mix from Costco because you know it's easy, it's okay, whatever. And AJ just likes to call it by its full name. Well, it sounds like an MRE. I mean <laughs> You have you have a bottle that's labeled Kirkland Signature Premium Golden Margarita Ready to Drink. I think that you know that that sounds a little close to some random brown box that's got on it meal ready to eat individual. <laughs> and with that, we're going to go back to talking have, about the walls in the movie. I don't think they have margaritas in MREs or have in the past, do they? I don't know. I know for a fact that some MREs have had uh, alcohol-based cordials in there in the past. <laughs> um, so when we finally fade to color, we get to um, a very fun, bright blue 1950s car with um, with a really cool interior. It's a Bel Air. It's a beautiful yeah, Bel Air. Yeah, beautiful Bel Air. Um, the, I do have to say the roof in that car was so cool because it's got like the, the white texture on top. The sort of fake plush vinyl. Yeah, yeah. It was very fun. I, my, dad, my dad has this like lifelong goal of owning um, and restoring really um, a 1961, I believe. 1961 Bel Air is the, the one that he likes. Um, so it's always fun to see them. Uh, shown in pop culture. I'm trying to set a new podcast record for getting as off topic as possible, <laughs> as early as possible. But the thing is about those old cars is I would love to own one. For me personally, it's a 1963 Chevy Corvette Stingray, the one with the split rear window. That's like very predictable. That's okay. I don't <laughs> mind predictable. Sometimes, you know, there's a consensus because we're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would just be terrified of ever driving it. I mean, for one, I'd never want to have my my beautiful baby car child <laughs> smashed into a million pieces. And number two, I'd also be terrified of being sent through the windshield at whatever speed I happen to be traveling at the time. Well, seeing how you drive, I think you'd be fine because you kind of drive like a grandpa. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. We're getting personal and <laughs> off topic in the first 10 minutes here. Not even waiting to pull the gloves off. I think now I'm ready to get back to the walls. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is what happens when we drink beer 
<laughs> watch movie. I don't know about you. I am totally fine. I am like, I I am sharp. No, I'm fine. <laughs> I am sharp. I am here. All of my senses are with me, and I am going back to the walls personally. I don't our, know about you. Our arbitrary brew for this movie is C is for Cherry, which was brewed by Evil Twin Brewing. And it's uh, it's a pretty decent sour. I'm not much of a not much of a fruit beer fan, but this hits the spot. Cherry's nice. It is very sour, very yeah. acetic. I mean, I do have to say, I liked sours before anyone else liked them, and now I'm just kind of tired of them. All right, Miss Hipster, let's go back to NASA. I am over here, literally wearing flannel and a climbing T-shirt. I'm about as hipster as we get. Anyways, um, <laughs> besides that, uh, so we we. We actually show up to NASA finally. So they were on the side of the road Thanks fixing Thanks to a it. police escort. Yes. And uh, Mary has a, a quote where she says, um, you know, like, this is historic. Three black women chasing a white cop down the road or something like that. Something along those lines. It was... Uh, Mary Jackson was a very interesting character. I don't know how much of her personality is actually... Uh, related to her in real life. But. Yeah, that's a tough one. You mentioned that this is like kind of adherent to the truth, kind of adherent to what actually happened, but I don't actually really know to what degree. I imagine that there was some research done. I imagine that the actors made some effort to sort of... Well, so I know that uh, Taraj, Taraji, I really, I hope I'm not butchering I'm going to say Taraji. Um, I know that she actually met Mary Johnson, I'm sorry, Catherine Johnson, Mary Jackson. I couldn't have made that easier. Um, Catherine, I know she actually met Catherine Johnson um, in person before um, or like as she was signing for the role um, to talk about like the character. Um, but I don't, I don't know that um and you were saying shortly before we started recording that the flight director character played by kevin costner is an amalgamation of different flight directors from nasa yeah so um i guess the the director couldn't decide which like uh langley director he wanted to use at the time so he kind of made a combination uh, of, of, he says three, um, obviously the most prevalent is Gene Krantz with the, the vest wearing while in mission control. So it's certainly not a biographical film. It's not anywhere near the requirements for a, do you say biopic or biopic? I call it a biopic. Okay, that sounds really wrong to me, just in my gut. So I typically go with biopic, but I also don't care too much. So it's certainly far from being a biopic. I don't know. I think biopic makes sense because you're saying like it's a biography picture, if you want to call films pictures. So it's a biopic. But it doesn't have one person who it centers specifically. Right. So this one wouldn't, I don't think this one would be considered yeah. a biopic. No, that's, that's my call too. Okay. So anyways, so now we're at NASA and Langley <laughs> and it's, it's about as what you would expect. So when we're in the quote unquote East group, which is the colored, the colored area, um, you have this Brown and um, blue gray painted bricks. Um, and it definitely looks worn down and it looks like it's not very well taken care of and they don't really care if anyone sees what it looks like, um, because, you know, this was during when, uh, when Virginia was still segregated. Um, and then, you know, you move on over to West Group, which is the, the white side, and it's got this really beautiful, um, like, wood and polished concrete. Um, you know, all the hallways are, are much nicer, much brighter. Um, even the bathrooms are nicer. They have like soap dishes with bars of soap as opposed to the soap things that you push angrily that are never full of soap. I'm not here to disagree with you on <laughs> the quality of the East Wing versus the White the white West Wing. <laughs> Did I get that right? It's called West Group, but yes. The White West Group Wing. <laughs> sure. 
the uh, thing where I draw a little bit of distance from what you were saying is that I, I genuinely do prefer liquid soap to bar soap. Well, um, I mean, that's pretty on par for our friendship, AJ. However, I agree with your analysis of everything else so far. Everything over in the section, the the East Group. Everything over in the East Group is very slabby and drabby. Uh-huh. And what you would imagine sort of a, a plain, dilapidated sort of classroom or maybe academic building, office building to look like. Um, it's quite plain. The materials are very dull colors, very dull earth tones, lots of dark browns and grays, and not really a whole lot of colors that stand out. The West group, on the other uh, on the other hand, we have, like you said, a lot of polished concrete or marble or some mm-hmm. kind of stone or artificial stone. Lots of bright woods. Uh, yeah, the woods were, were really bright. They were a very interesting. Cherries and walnuts. And an orange stain on the doors, too. Like a bright orange. Mm-hmm. So definitely a little step up in terms of material. Um, that's not to say that the East Wing looked like it was ramshackle. No. So much as it looked like a hand-me-down area. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a, an appropriate way of looking at it. In that, like, it's it's not that they're not caring for it at all because they still do need all the East Group, um, you know, brains. But but they're not taking as much of an effort to make it look presentable or nice or things like that. And it certainly looks a bit older too, yeah. including on the exterior. The exterior is a lot more plain. Although I will say about this. One of the things I was not sure about, sort of, in terms of my gut feeling on the way things uh, in set design looked, is the exterior of the newer wings of the building had very modern-looking aluminum doors with large pull handles on them. And they looked like they could have been installed any time in the past few years from the time of recording this. So... I'm not sure if maybe my opinion on the exterior was artificially impacted by that, especially because we don't see much of the exterior. I wonder if they shot any of the exterior shots, like actually at uh, Langley. It's probably not super difficult to be able to get a film crew out to that part of the country. I know that there are places that are relatively more and less expensive to film. New Mexico is apparently very cheap to film in, which is why we have wonderful works of theatrical art like Breaking Bad and why we have horrible, awful, no good pieces of theatrical art like Wild Hogs. So... um... Langley is in Virginia, I believe. Virginia, but the movie was entirely shot in Georgia. Okay. Georgia, I know, is another inexpensive place to film. That's why The Walking Dead is over there. Cool. Did not know that. The Walking Dead and some other series I'm blanking on, but I promise I'll get it in a second. Okay, cool. Um, So we do, inside of NASA, we pretty much see... Um, all the same locations for the duration of the movie. So you see the interior of East Group, um, both the computer's room and the hallways to get to the bathroom because Catherine spends a lot of time running across uh, Langley campus to get to the East Group bathrooms. Um, She also, uh, we also see the interior of the space test group, I think is what, what she was a part of, which mm-hmm. again has this really cool rotunda um, where you you have uh, the concrete or, or stone walls. Um, you have the office of the director, which I, I guess in the movie, his name is Al Harrison. Who has a large chunk of his office dedicated to just overseeing what's going on beneath him. Yeah. So he has a lot of windows um, that all are uh, framed in that, that bright, that same bright wood. Um, there's a wall that has one of those really, really cool dope, um, chalkboards that has like the, the ladder that you can like roll across as you're doing, you know, 300 analytical geometry 
calculations. And then the rest of the interior of that area is like a nice, very pleasant uh, grayish blue, I thought. Um, so it was a really cool area. Um, but yes, yeah, so you could tell it was certainly a place where NASA took pride in that location because that was space test. You know, those were the people who were doing the, the direct calculations um, in order to get, you know, the friendship capsule uh, out into orbit um, and back. It definitely looks like the place where they keep their hotshots, which mm -hmm. is not saying a whole lot because a lot of the other areas that were shown that purport to be inside this NASA headquarters are also quite nice. The lobby of the building is well appointed. There's a stone or artificial stone NASA logo in the in the, the floor. The meatball. Yeah. Yeah, the meatball. Um, unfortunate thing about the spaghetti logo, uh -huh. as I understand it. It was just coming into popularity as the Challenger disaster occurred. I was going to mention this during the credits because there are a few sort of Polaroid looking shots that have the spaghetti logo on there, but it's, it's, it's a just piece so, of, it's just so recognizable. It's a piece of graphic design that is lost to the world. The NASA logo is the meatball logo is far too busy. Hmm. Maybe that's a topic we'll have to pin down at some point. Graphic design. <laughs> it's going to be a tough one to find movies for Scott Pilgrim. Maybe. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim. That would be a good one. Um, I, one of the other things I think in that, in that space test, test, space test area is they had a giant map of the world, which I thought was really cool. It kind of, um, when you looked at the doors to exit, they had the map that it, oh, excuse me, it covered, um, it like went over the doors. So it was really cool. I thought that was, that was a fun detail to add inside a group that's literally calculating space trajectories. This isn't a wall, but we've gotten so loose with the set design definition in the past that I feel like <laughs> it's worth mentioning the uh, gigantic, and by gigantic, I'd say at least three feet across crystal or glass globe that was inside of the space test group. Oh, they, yeah, okay. The Toward globe the, that was like right yes. in the center yep. of the room. Kinda, was it there the whole time? Uh... That's it was a good question. Later, but I don't remember it being there. I feel like I noticed it fairly early on. Hmm. That would have been a hassle to haul that in in the middle of a space race. Yeah, they're like, oh, oh, we got this piece of a uh, crystal globe commission. Oh, I got it. Stranger Things also filmed in Georgia because it's considerably less expensive to film in Georgia than in somewhere in Indiana that they would later pretend to be Hawkins. It's just so weird to me. Cause I, I feel like is either like, is Georgia so nondescript that you can just assume that it's anywhere else? So, or do people just not know what places look like so much? It's really in my understanding, a question of economy. Like, is it feasible in terms of the money game to film where you actually want this to be set? Or is it better to film it somewhere else entirely? Uh, a lot of movies are filmed in New Mexico or Georgia or other cheap places to film that are considered to be representations of some other part of the country. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned before that I am a Coen Brothers buff. They are a reboot of True Grit in 2010. That was filmed entirely in New Mexico, but I believe the story itself takes place in like Arkansas and Oklahoma. So, <laughs> like two yeah, very so, different it's, places. so it's a very different place. I mean, going back historically, many, many decades ago, studios in California would have maps of the state of California saying, these are the spots where you want to film to evoke the Saharan desert. This is where you want to film to evoke middle America, so on and so forth. So definitely it's, uh, it's a major consideration that's made when the production of these films takes place, where they're going to be able to sort of passively say is the location of, of the film setting and get that through the camera and not have it look too, too weird. Yeah. Well, so um, 
a lot all of the all of the NASA interior I, I guess the, the thing about this movie is that a lot of it was shot inside so it didn't you you could have literally located it anywhere I guess it didn't really matter but anyways um a lot of the NASA interior I do have to say there was a lot of different like wood paneling so when you get into like the the room where they were discussing with the Navy generals it was like darker woods and um and then the like room in between there there were like wood columns I guess um, and Kevin Costner, or uh, his character was Al Harrison, is that right? Um, mm-hmm. He had, you know, a big giant chalkboard and a picture of JFK. And the wood paneling in his office was really nice because he had um, some really nice built-in wood, um, like, bookshelves that had that had some stuff on them. So that was fun. But, I mean, really, it was just the the movie consisted of a lot of the same walls because a lot of it was just a montage of, of her time as she progressed through space group. And I guess also, um, you know, uh, Mary Jackson and then Octavia Spencer's character. I feel like I'm missing her name, Dorothy Vaughn. Um, a lot of their time struggling. Um, so Dorothy Vaughn eventually moved into the IBM room, um, because she learned Fortran. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and which uh, for both of us who are of an engineering background is a very bad word. <laughs> um, and then you know, Mary Jackson moved into the uh, one of the engineering groups, uh, and they spent a lot of time in a wind tunnel, so nothing really notable there except the walls and doors in the wind tunnel did not look particularly sturdy for the amount of air that they were uh, pushing through that system. I mean. I don't actually know. I've never been to a wind tunnel in real life, but I assume that you probably need some pretty sturdy areas to keep that wind tunnel contained. I don't think it would be a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, it's probably a a positive. Um, Sometimes it's good to go that extra mile over engineer things, put an extra command strip on that poster. (laughs) You won't regret it. Okay. Um, and then, I mean, outside of NASA, we have a few uh, we have a few scenes of the three ladies, uh, the lovely esteemed ladies, their personal lives. So you get the church, which has these bright light wood pews with like a red piping on them. Um, and then you get, you know, obviously they have their picnic in the park and there's no walls there. And you get the inside of Catherine, Catherine's house, uh, which is, you know, it's got like a nice like neutral wallpaper with a... Um, Again, I think it was like palm trees. I don't know what is with these wallpapers with palm trees. Um, and then the inside of her her um, her girl's bedroom, which was fun because they had a lot of cool space decorations. Right. Which... They had decorations with stars and spaceships going up. And, yeah. Uh, one of the two beds had sort of like a solar system diagram at the head of it. Yeah. I thought that was a nice little little touch for yeah i like to think that they they did that probably because you know their mom worked for nasa that's a good example well i would (laughs) presume so that's a good example of storytelling through set design though it's definitely a nice touch to have a little bit of characterization come through in the visuals that you're presented yeah and it rewards you as a viewer too yeah i don't think there was a whole lot um, I mean, unlike, you know, Dr. Strange, uh, the, I don't think there was a whole lot in, and I guess National Treasure, I don't think there was a whole lot where, uh, the walls really did anything for the plot of the story. Not really the plot of the story, but I suppose, I, I suppose there was one example of a wall being functional, Chalk which is, walls. oh, two examples in that case, the chalkboard walls were a functional wall. And those were important to the plot in places. Yeah. When Frequently, yeah. when Catherine proves that she is an excellent computer, able to get that computing stuff done, she does so on a chalkboard in the meeting room. Yep. And also, oh yeah, with, with the most adorable representation of John Glenn ever, which is quite generous, I have to say. I mean, I don't think John Glenn was was like bad looking. I just don't think he was as attractive as that actor is. That's absolutely my opinion as well. The late Senator Glenn is not nearly 
as as good to look at as the actor's name is Glenn Powell. Oh, well, there you go. He's <laughs> no relation, of course. Um, and then the other time where we have walls appearing as a functional device is, of course, in Mission Control, when we have the giant lit up wall, which is at this point in a in a time long past being manually adjusted in order to express the location of the Freedom Seven or Friendship Seven capsule. Oh, oh, oh yeah the the uh, the wall where you watch. Um... The trajectory. Yeah, I forgot about that. I guess that's true because now we just have that mission control just comprises of monitors on monitors. I mean, it's still the same thing generally. Like if you were to look at mission control nowadays, they would still have a giant map of the world with the orbit and it would look a lot like it did in that movie. But it's a lot more high tech now. When I, and I'm presuming on days off, you could do whatever you want with the monitors. You could have a smash tournament. <laughs> when I eventually make it to NASA and mission control, I'll let you know what it looks like. Sounds good. Cool. Sounds good. Um, yeah. I mean, we get an inside of Dorothy Vaughn's house. Uh, again, lots of wood paneling. It was the 60s. Um, lots of just wallpaper. That's, that's how people, I guess, decorated then. It was very, um, I mean, my 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 heart kind of fluttered a little bit because I love the like mid-century or what we now call mid-century modern. Um, I love that look, the little peg legs and the um, the rounded shapes and and the and things like that. I really love love the the mid-century modern, and that was definitely the fifties and the sixties is is when you really saw that come to light. So. I love that personally. I do have to say there was um, in Mary Jackson's house, uh, played by Janelle Monae, um, their stair, their staircase in their house was oddly, did not match the rest of the house. Like everything else was very similar. And then they just had this like really stark white, brightly lit staircase. It was very strange. I found that they had a pretty bright house in general especially when taken in comparison to some of the duller tones that we saw elsewhere in the, in the film. Yeah. We, we really only saw her house though. Like when she was, you know, enrolling in school. Right. There was the one instance where she arrives at home and there's a news report on uh, an instance of civil unrest. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much the, I believe that's the only full view we get of, sort of her living space. Yeah. And then we get her sitting on the edge of her bed, getting ready for night classes. I think that was, that was pretty much it. But in terms of other interiors, I mean, there really wasn't, there wasn't really a whole lot. I don't think there was the hallways at NASA, the bathrooms, weirdly. Um, and then, you know, the space test group, the computing group and, um, and the engineering location, which is, they're all what you expect, right? So like the IBM one had the entire IBM machine because computers used to take up entire rooms to do 24, what was it? 24,000 calculations per second. No, I think it was 24,000 calculations per second. I think that's what what they, she said, because she said it twice in the movie, so we should have known. But, I mean, now you have something in your pocket that does so much more than that, which is just crazy. Um, and, oh, I guess there was, yeah, so there was inside of Mission Control, and then there was also the launch pad. The insides of the bathrooms were definitely worth mentioning before you get away from the headquarters. Just because there's a very distinct dichotomy between the two. Uh-huh. Everything in terms of lighting and in terms of the actual materials is much darker in the colored facilities. Dark greens, very, very dark brown, black wood. The place just really exudes a character of being not particularly clean or new or well-kept or welcoming or like 
a place where one would feel comfortable. And then later in the movie, we see the, I'm going to say integrated, but put a question mark at the end of it. The integrated restroom, formerly the white restroom. And that's very bright. It has warm colors, oranges and reds. The porcelain is, is shining and bright. The tile work is bright. The actual lighting, the physical lighting of the location is much brighter than we saw prior. And I actually would probably say for the small amount of screen time we get of those two locations, that was maybe for me a better compare and contrast sort of thing than the actual office spaces of the East and West groups. I mean, when you looked at the computing group difference, so like the the East computing group versus the West, I mean, when she went to go pick up all those files, like it was definitely, it was brighter. There were warmer tones. Um, it was more spacious. That was another thing. Um, so, I mean, they, they worked really hard to, you know, have the, the difference between the two groups um, and make it very apparent. It was, it was certainly very apparent um, in the, in the movie as well. But I mean, besides the walls, I thought that they were, they both served to tell you which area you were in. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but also, um, there really wasn't a whole lot of notability, I guess, between any of the walls in the whole movie. I would have to say really the only thing was, um, the rotunda room where, where the space test group was, it was very beautiful. It was very well taken care of. Um, and I guess, you know, maybe the, the room where they sat down with the Navy to talk about, um, you know, landing and launch sites. I think those were only really the two, uh, most, I guess, ornate rooms. And even at that, they weren't really super ornate. They really didn't look like government buildings at all, to me, at least. The room where they put the IBM computer looked pretty government-friendly because it was white and plain mm -hmm. and sterile. Mm -hmm. I've, I've, uh, I've never been to NASA, so I can't say what it looks like. IRL. Depends on which NASA have you been to any of the NASA locations? I have been to Cape Canaveral a number of times. Hmm. And I will say that the mission control that they have set up there, which is an old actual mission control building that was formerly used. And now they do things elsewhere on Cape Canaveral's property. Um, Cape Canaveral doesn't really have too much need for uh particularly large mission control facility because as soon as the vehicle launches, it's Houston's problem. Yeah. So um, it definitely looked, it looked pretty sterile. It looked pretty plain and white and different shades of different shades of beige. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, I don't really, I don't really have anything else for the walls, AJ. No, I I don't think that we add walls contribute a whole lot to plot points or a whole lot to I mean, functionality of the environment around our our main characters. Yeah, I agree. Definitely your normal mix of sort of dingier places in order to create that that feeling of a more depressing environment and places that are of nicer quality. Some areas that are almost imposing in terms of their, their uh, height and, and volume. The courthouse scene where we have a character appealing for the right to attend night classes at a local high school. That was definitely a location that seemed imposing. I noticed that the cinematography in that scene had the camera pulled very tight on the on Janelle Monet with definitely a, a longer focal length, and it really sort of shrunk her inside of the space she was in. 
Um, I don't know if that was wholly intentional or if it was just easier to do a shot reverse shot process in that way, because the person with whom she was speaking was a solid 15 feet away from her at that point. But in any event, it was, it was effective. It was definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it it definitely felt like she was sort of, in one sense, confined in this imposing space, but in another sense, this is a very large space. It's a very open space. It's it's very airy, and there's a lot to it. So that yeah. was that was probably the last major major note that I had for the film. Yeah, I think so. Um, so AJ. Uh, I guess we can, uh, now that you've you've made it this far, uh, how did you feel about the movie overall? Not just the walls. We can can rate the movies now, or the movie now, on our two different scales. For those of you who maybe this is your your first time or you don't remember, um, AJ and I will uh, just kind of talk about a few things in the movie and then we'll, we'll rate it on our two different scales. Uh, AJ has a scale one through 10 and, uh, live, ha- live myself, uh, has a scale one through five, mostly because we can't agree on anything in our friendship. And I think that 10 numbers is too many. So that's why, um, was there anything else in the movie that stuck out to you, AJ? I don't think that there was a whole lot else that stuck out to me in terms of walls, and I think I am ready to deliver my verdict. All right. Um, I have one comment outside of our walls discussion and just about the movie itself. Um, I really hate Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah. And I really hated his character in this movie. And I think I'm just beginning to really hate Jim Parsons. Yeah. I just, I can't, I can't, I can't with him. <laughs> I can't remember what it was, but he was also recently doing commercials for, uh, I think, Intel, Intel processors. Just, and I found him just as totally insufferable. In yeah, those. he's just so obnoxious. Conveniently, it works for the purpose of this movie. It does, but it just I just makes me hate him. I mean, shockingly, with all of the circumstance and and sort of consequential public attitudes surrounding the events of this movie, we don't really have much of a villain, or at least our our villain is is unseen, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I get that it's an uplifting, feel-good movie, but I'm happy to nominate Jim Parsons to be our villain. Oh, yeah. Him and in Kirsten Dunst. Oh, yeah. So, actually, so I I think I'm going to get rolling with my real review, and I'm going to open that up by saying Kirsten Dunst. I was not expecting to see her in this movie. I was not expecting the role she played. I was not expecting her character, but uh, she nailed it, I think. She she definitely made a character that was not one with a lot of screen time, yet I hated very much. Yeah. She really just oozed unpleasantness. She has a line in the movie where she says to Dorothy Vaughn, she says, despite what you may think, I have nothing against y'all, um, you know, speaking as towards towards the black community. And, and Dorothy Vaughn's character responds with, I know, I know you probably believe that. And I thought that was like a very succinct way to describe her, like that uh, Kirsten Dunn's character, her, her, her actions towards Dorothy Vaughn and the the black computers for the duration of the movie. And I think how that character was really, um, really acting towards, um, you know, all the, the East group people. I think that was, I thought that was a pretty succinct, you know, she in her head is like, yeah, I'm just being normal. And and it's not, not really actually. Curiously, she has one facial expression for the entire movie which is just, I am very grumpy. This is bad. Everything is bad. Um, 
that didn't really impact anything about how I felt about the film, but I just thought it was worth mentioning because that kind of caught me off guard. In terms of the general acting of the movie, Mm -hmm. I thought that Taraji Henson was fantastic. Yes. I am shocked that she is not in more major projects or has not been in more major projects this decade. I think we'll see more of her soon. I'm aware that she is in a pretty well-regarded serial um, called Empire, Mm -hmm. I believe. Yep. Um, I personally have not watched that, but I hope that it brings only good things for her. Octavia Spencer was wonderful, as always. Um, Kevin Costner was... I think he was the right person. Exceptionally well cast. Yeah. I think that he acted well and acted commendably. Um, He acted like Kevin Costner. He acted like Kevin Costner. Yeah. Uh, This just happens to be extremely appropriate for the tone of the film and for the development of the, of the plot and of the characters themselves. Um, Jim Parsons. I just, I just can't get like, I don't understand as an actor, how you would accept these roles. I just keep putting you in these just shitty, like representation. I don't know. He just, it's, just Big Bang Theory, Big Bang Theory is just the worst, and I just can't, I can't, I can't with it. I just can't. So that's that's sort of the top build cast, or the top build cast according to Google. Um, a couple shout outs, one in either direction. Uh, Janelle Monae, I don't really totally think that her performance did it for me. I thought it was a little overwrought. I thought it lacked a lot of the subtleties that we saw from the other leads of the story. Um, Liv mentioned early in the movie, sort of, oh, don't worry, you'll see why she's like this at a char- as a character. And the reason being, her husband is very involved in the cause of civil rights and is trying to get her very involved as well and is very passionate in everything he does and says. And I definitely understand that to some extent, and I think that that's a valid point about this particular characterization of this individual, but I have to say that it just personally didn't totally work for me. I don't think that it was bad by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it was just a little overdone. Well, I mean, we do have to point out one one important person in this movie was the lovely, the esteemed Mahershala Ali. Like, he is just... A beautiful specimen. He was going to be my other mention in the other direction. He is so excellent in everything I've seen him in. So keep, keep it, keep it coming, Mahershala. I'll be here for it. Um, So I don't know about you, but uh, that's, that's pretty much all I have. Um, Are you ready to, ready to give this a, a good old rating? Oh, I'm already in the middle of it. I am deep into it. Okay. Um, That's my acting sort of statement about everything. I feel like we've beat set design to death. Probably. So we don't really need to talk too much about the setting. Uh, Generally speaking, the atmosphere of the movie felt nice. It felt appropriate. I wasn't totally sold on the soundtrack. I thought the soundtrack was a little too modern, a little too upbeat, a little too sort of whimsical for, for the rest of the the movie. Um, Overall, for me, I would say that this is a movie that I enjoyed. It's a movie that I might watch again. And it's going to be a 7 out of 10 for me. Our friendship hinged on him giving this an 8 or better. Oof. Well, Well, I, I, I... I can't give everything a perfect score. And as a matter of fact, I don't think that there is any movie that I would consider a 10. So I would, you said that last week, I would be comfortable giving, giving this seven. I I think that that's a reasonable score for a reasonable film that in my opinion, pulls a few too many punches. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Well, 
I disagree with AJ. I think this movie was flawless. It was excellent. It was so important for for young people and people all over to watch um, and experience. I love this movie. I have seen it multiple times. I also love the soundtrack. Um, I find it to be um, a good, um, you know, like... uh, sidekick I guess to the plot because the plot can it can get heavy at times um and so I thought the lighter moments with like the jazzy tones were were really excellent um I'm gonna give this a five it was perfect in my book it was just it's something that if I need a feel-good movie I will watch this movie if I need to watch a movie with a friend I will watch this movie I absolutely love it um And I will probably be watching it again probably soon because I just love this movie. I wouldn't be surprised if I end up watching it again at some point, but I'm definitely clearing out my watch list a little bit before I get around to it again. All right. Sounds good. Uh, With that, thank you so much for for listening this week. Um, Next week, we will have a brand new Criterion that we will be reviewing uh, four movies, so a month's worth of movies on. Um, so if you listen this long, you deserve to know. It's shoes. <laughs> Just giving it away. Uh, so there you have it. For the next four weeks, we'll be talking about shoes uh, in movies. So so stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for listening. Please share, subscribe, uh, reach out to us if you have any questions or comments or just want to chat, you can reach us at arbitraryviews at gmail.com. At gmail.com. And we are also on Twitter. Uh, I don't believe we have uh, tweeted anything. But... We've, we've tweeted about some of our new episodes, but we uh, we are still not in the follower game yet. Our, <laughs> okay. Our Twitter handle is at arbitrary underscore views. Yeah, so uh, we're we're happy to have you here, um, and we're we're glad that you you listened to the the end of this episode. So stay tuned to next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.